So I want to thank Jeff Robinson for covering me last week. I uh, had an infection in my jaw, and I had a, a root canal nine months ago, and then it got infected, and it went up into my sinuses, and so they... I, I know you have to eat lunch later, so, you know, um, I won't go into the details. But anyway, as you can see, I'm standing, and um, I'm doing okay. And so I'm glad he could step in because, um, you know, I was on some medication last week, so I didn't want to start some new strange doctrine uh, last weekend. So thank you, Jeff, and it was a wonderful message. If you didn't get to hear it, you should check it out online. So <clears throat> this morning, we are going to be back in our book study, which is 1 John. So if you can pull out your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, just raise up your hand and uh, uh, someone will get one to you. I think uh, Chris Dayton, but just, yeah, there, there's a couple people that need, need a Bible. So, and go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 7 through 17. And the title of this message is called Direction. And you'll find out why. Let's read. Brethren, I write, to, write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And he who says he is in the light and hates his brother, is in darkness until now. And he who loves his bro brother abides in the light, and there is no darkness for stumbling in him, for no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. And I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the, the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. If you look up direction in the dictionary, simply put, it's the course that must be taken in order to reach a destination. And as we look at these verses, that's exactly what John is, as he's bringing us into the gospel, he's giving us direction. He's showing us what to live for. And we're all looking for direction. Everyone is looking for direction. No doubt this week you were wondering where to go, what to do. No doubt that there's things on your mind right now this morning that you're wondering how they're going to turn out. And there's not one of us here that is not looking for some sort of direction in some way, whether relationally, occupationally, uh, spiritually. We're all seeking direction. And 
a lot of times we look ethereally into finding that direction, maybe waiting for God, you know, God, will you just spell it out with the clouds, you know, and just give me the message. But really, we find our course of action and our direction when we know the one who's guiding us. See, knowing direction is knowing the person of Jesus Christ. When we are searching for direction, it's not an it. It's a, it's a him. It's a who. Because he's the light. And when you're in Christ, you see where you're going. <laughs> you see where you're walking. And that's what John is expressing through these verses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That knowing where to go, knowing what to do, is to be in relationship with Jesus. John is laying out a trajectory of life in these verses. He's laying out a direction that comes only through the gospel. So I want to talk about that. I want to divide this up in three sections. What we see is a time for this direction, and we see uh, the clarity of this direction, and lastly, the results of this direction. First of all, the time for this direction. And we see it right there, verse 9. What is the time? Now. <laughs> the time is now. And that's important because we're wondering maybe what's going to come of our life down the line. And we normally live our life like that, don't we? We're always kind of thinking, waiting for something to happen, waiting for something to take place, and maybe thinking the grass is going to be greener. And we're always looking down the road. But what the scriptures tell us that in the gospel, we can get direction now. And that's one of the keys of living life, is living in the moment. And that is the most difficult thing for us to do. But is the key of, 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 ha of joy. It's the key of peace, is living in the moment. And the gospel allows us to live right now in the moment. Jesus taught his disciples, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to take care of itself. And don't be caught up in the past. The past is already gone, and it's under the covering of the grace of God. You can't change the past. And sure, there's effects of the past, but you can't change what took place. But yet the gospel teaches us that the past is irrelevant. It says in Isaiah that when God forgives our sins, he casts them behind his back. Basically, God has the ability, the, the omniscient God mysteriously has the ability to forget. And so when you bring up the past, he's going, huh? What was that? As far as God's concerned, it is forgotten. And he says throughout many different passages throughout scripture that when we confess that he forgives us and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness and he takes our sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west, which I love, not from the north to the south because there's a north pole and a south pole. There's an end to that. But the east from the west, it's into infinity. And he chooses to remember our sins no more. And so what the gospel enables us to do is live now in the joy of his love and live now in the peace that is given to us through the reconciliation that he's provided through the cross right now. And for me, that's the hardest thing to do is live in the moment. I'm always worried about something that's going to happen down the road. You know, they say that the things that, you know, worry 
We, we think about things which will never come. They'll never happen. I mean, I have several times I've sold my kids into slavery to pay the electric bill. Not really, but in my mind. You know, I, you, you dream up these things, but the, it never comes. And the, the key to life is living in the moment. What do you have right now? We're blessed right now. It says in Ephesians that we're seated in the heavenly places. And, and we have Christ right now in this moment. You have all of his love. You have all of his forgiveness. All of his grace has been made available to you right now in this moment. And that's the key, is learning to live that way. Now is the only time that we really have, if you think about it. Now is the only time that really matters. And the great thing about the gospel is that it is as old as the hills, but as new as the morning sun. We read in 2 Corinthians 6.2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And you don't have to wait for things to get better. They can be better right now in your heart. Circumstances might not change. Things may not change externally, but what the gospel does is it breaks through and it gives us life in the midst of changing circumstances. That's what the gospel provides for us. And he says here, this isn't new in, in the first, first couple of verses that we read, verses 7 and 8. He's saying this isn't some new thing. And understand that there was no New Testament when John, this is the New Testament. <laughs> this is a letter from John. So he's speaking to the believers that came to know Jesus Christ through the Old Testament. And he's saying this isn't a new commandment. This is everything you know about God and his promises are wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not an old, it's, it's just the old commandment is still alive today. Do you know the, the men and women of faith you read in a, Hebrews chapter 11 were given this huge list of people from the Old Testament that were people of faith. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that these are a great cloud of witnesses. Basically, they're watching us from heaven. And those people of faith are still part of the church. Did you know that? They were just, their faith was before the coming of Christ. You know, B.C., <laughs> Our faith is looking back, but it's still the same faith because the cross of Christ is an eternal thing. It, it transcends time and space. So here we have a great cloud of witnesses of Abraham and Moses and all the people of faith, that great cloud of witnesses. And it's not a new faith. And he's trying to tell the church, this isn't something new. This is the culmination of all the promises, every prophecy of the Old Testament, over 300 prophecies were completely fulfilled in detail by Jesus Christ, the Messiah. How he was born, how he was to live his life, the character of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, to down to the very detail. Him coming into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, prophesied by Zechariah, we could go on and on being born in Bethlehem, and Jesus filled all of these prophecies to a T. And he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We read after his resurrection that he was, he was on his road to Emmaus, and he walked with his disciples, and it says here that he spoke to them about how, how all the, the law and the prophets spoke of him. 
And could you imagine being part of that conversation, how he was rolling out, how he in his person was the fulfillment of all the scriptures. So John is making that point. And he's saying because of that, our, our salvation is now. Our, the peace that Jesus brings can be right now. This is the time for direction. You can have direction today, even though you know nothing of what's going to happen tomorrow. It's in the heart, and it's a relationship. And it's true, and it's not new. It's, it's the truth, the same truth that existed before the foundations of the world. God, it, the Bible says that God created the earth out of his wisdom. So his wisdom that created the heavens and the earth comes and can live in your heart today, guiding you comforting you. And that's what John is saying. It's not a new thing because if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Truth is absolute. And truth is, is connected, is synonymous to who God is, to the character of God. So it's not a new truth, John says. It's the same old truth, but it's in the person now that Jesus has been revealed. So the time for this direction. Now, secondly, the clarity of this direction. As we touched on this throughout this study, he's talking about, he's giving this picture. It's like a metaphor of how we walk with God, how we have direction by walking in the light. What does that mean to walk in the light? If you go down to Pearl Street after church and you ask someone, what does it mean to walk in the light? You're going to get a very different answer. I, I bet you a hundred bucks. I think of Shirley MacLaine, remember her? She wrote that book, Dancing in the Light, and gave this whole idea. And uh, I, know, I don't know if I told this story before, but uh, she wrote a book years ago called Out on a Limb, where she talks about how she's her own controller of her own universe, and she speaks to, you know, and just this, you know, incredibly heretical book. But um, so I was on a flight from... Uh, from uh, Colorado Springs to Santa Fe on Mesa Airlines. And, and, and Shirley MacLaine got on with her big fur coat, you know, her big mink coat, and I was sitting right next to Shirley MacLaine. And we went through this turbulence, and it, it was pretty scary, and put on your seatbelts, and she was white-knuckling it, and I, I couldn't help myself. I said, boy, you're out on a limb now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> She didn't laugh. Uh, light. What does it mean to walk in the light? Light simply enables us to walk. I have a bad habit. In the middle of the night when I get up, it's pitch, it's dark, and I, my toes are a mess. After, after years and years of stubbing my toes in the middle of the night, which happens almost on a nightly basis, we need light to walk. We need light to see where we're going. So what does he mean by walking in the light? What's this clarity that we can have in this direction? Well, I believe to walk in the light means that you take the gospel. When you look at the context, John is stating a case for the gospel and what it means to know the gospel. And knowing the gospel means that you are walking in the light. The whole point here is he's talking about the light is not something you flick on or something that you meditate upon. The light is a person. 
The light is the person of Jesus Christ. And the walk in the light means that you take the gospel and you look at your life through the lens of the gospel. And you look at yourself through the lens of the gospel. You even look at God through the lens of the gospel. What is the gospel? We could do nothing to save ourselves. We have all sinned. Every one of us have fallen short of the perfection of God and the glory of God. That's our human condition. So in our worst state, doing nothing to improve ourselves, really, trying our best maybe to be moral, but yet falling miserably short, God went after us. And he went after us by giving everything just so he could have us. He gave his son. And upon the cross, Jesus took our sin. And he paid the penalty for our sin, which is death. He became sin for us that we might become his righteousness. So he took our sin so that we wouldn't have to bear the penalty for our sin, which is eternal death. But along with that, he gave us in exchange his righteousness. So in the gospel, you don't have to do anything to earn the love of God, to earn God's favor. It's all been brought to you and provided to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was the only perfect man that lived. And he took his perfect record and he nailed it to the cross. And he gave it to us. He, gave, he took our horrible record and he nailed that to the cross and gave us in exchange his perfect record and now in Christ in the gospel you are completely 100% accepted by God you have the father's full approval so to walk in the light is to learn to live life through the lens of that of that truth Though others might reject you, though life might get disappointed, it doesn't really matter because you have Christ. You have everything. When you have his love, you have everything. And you navigate through life through the lens of the gospel. That's what it means to walk in the light. So when something doesn't turn out that you expected to turn out or you're really counting on and you're moving down a direction, when you know the gospel... You go, that didn't turn out, but you know what? I have heaven. God's teaching me lessons. He, he loves me. He would not allow this to happen in my life unless he had something better that he was doing for me. That's what it means to know the gospel. And you can't earn that. You can't work for it. Going to church doesn't get you that. Knowing Jesus gets you that. And we learn to live life that way. We learn to look at ourselves even. Because we tend to analyze our, look at our life and we go, well, I, I'm getting kind of old or I'm getting kind of, you know, things aren't turning out. And, but when you know the gospel, you learn to not take yourself so seriously because you know the love of God. Even looking at God through the lens of the gospel. Maybe you, you know, when, when we're immature, we bargain with God. God, I'll take care of my end and you take care of yours and I'll, I'll do all the right things and I'll live a holy life and then I expect you, God, to come through for me and to bless me because isn't that what the Bible says? And we bargain with God. But the gospel says that everything we have is just the grace of God. 
And so walking in the light is living life, looking at your life, looking at yourself, even looking at God through the lens of the gospel. And this is something we do every day. You know, I posted something on Facebook, maybe you saw it, but it's, it's, it's this quote that I saw in the back. I was just packing up some books, and it was this, the hundred greatest sermons of, you know, Christendom. And, and uh, Warren Weirdsby put this together, and, and on the back he had this quote, and it said, The object of preaching is constantly to remind mankind of what mankind is constantly forgetting. Because we forget... The gospel. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We have to remind ourselves. And what that does is it brings us into the light. It brings us into a place that, uh, of what God intended in sending his own son, a place of peace. We look at others through the lens of the gospel. And he, t- he gives us here a litmus test of what it means to really know the gospel. Because he's saying it's impossible to hate your brother and live in the gospel. But he's not, it, it, this isn't a legalism thing like, okay, let's all try harder to love. He's just, he's giving a litmus test. And let me explain it to you. When you are looking at yourself through the lens of the gospel and what God the Father gave to us in his own son and what he's forgiven us of, it's impossible to hold a grudge. It's impossible to look at, to relate to another person and hold a grudge against them because you know the God, you're so blown away by God's mercies and grace in your own life. And so that's the trajectory. We're, we, none of us have arrived. But the point is not try harder, love better. What he's saying is get, walk in the light. Get to know the gospel for yourself. And what that's going to happen is the fruit of that will be love from your life. And you'll love your brother. And so he's, he's defining what it means to walk in the light. Repentance means to change your direction. It means to change your mind. So if you're constantly living in insecurity or you're living in fear and, oh, I, you know, is God in charge of my life? What is he doing here? You need to repent and go, of course he loves me. Would he bring me this far and drop me off here? Of course he wouldn't. And you have to think about it. You have to remind yourself. You have to rehearse um, uh, the, the tenets of the gospel in your life. Change your direction. You know, men drivers, it's very hard for them to repent. Honey, I think we should go get directions. No, I know where I'm going. For a man, it's just, we need to go there. It's the, you know, the shortest distance, you know, it's a straight line, right, between point A and point B. So you just get in and go. And I have my wife to let me know that I'm not going the right direction. And it takes a lot of humility to pull off and ask, you know, someone at the gas station or to get directions. But when you're going the wrong direction, all it simply means is, you know what, I'm heading down the wrong path. And that's what the gospel does. You know, Paul's whole point in the book of Galatians is to get the the Galatians on the right trajectory and have them walk straight forward in the gospel. And what I'm saying here is, is the troubles of our life are not the troubles. The things we're struggling with and we're fearful about and that are burdening us and stressing us out and keeping us up at night, we're looking at the wrong thing. What we need to do is bring ourselves and our hearts and our minds into the light of the gospel. 
And what that does is it sets us on the proper trajectory. It's, it's all by his grace, right? So that's the clarity he's speaking about. And then thirdly, we see the results from this direction. There's real results. First, we see how we process this direction. And there's this odd grouping of scriptures. It might be odd to you just because it, it was a writing style here, verses 12 through 14. He mentions little children and fathers, and it appears from the onset that you he's repeating himself. You know, is this a translating error? It's not at all. Actually, this was a writing style. And when he's talking about little children, he's, he's speaking, if you remember, he's always referring to the whole church as children. He's not, the word that would normally be used for kids and the, for little kids in the Greek would be paideia, which speaks of a youthful, of a young, young of age. But he's using the Greek word technia, which speaks of, um, it's a, it's an address of special words to different ages, yet they are mistaken who think that he begins, you know, to use that other word here for little children. He's speaking to people who, we're, we're like kids. We're like kids that need a father. We're like little children that we're learning the, this gospel. We're not there yet, but we're growing in it. Technic- this, this word emphasizes more the relationship, the dependence or weakness of the infant. And for a general address, you know, it would not produce the effect that John wants to produce. And unfortunately, few think that what is addressed to all belongs to them. And he's grouping in uh, he's using this writing style. See, the old, for the most part, excuse themselves. And I want you to put all these verses together. Old, when you get older, you tend to excuse yourself. <laughs> because they have exceeded the age of learning. Children refuse to learn, as they are not yet old enough. Men of middle age, they don't attend, <laughs> because they are occupied with other pursuits. So he's addressing a general audience here. Less than any should exempt themselves. He accommodates the gospel to all, and he mentions three ages and the most common divisions of life in this culture and understanding it. There was a common song in this first century that had three choruses and the three orders. The, the first chorus was, what you are, we shall be. The last chorus is, what you are, we have been. And then the middle chorus was, we are what one of you have been and the other will be. And it was a popular song, almost a philosophy of life. So John is using that language here to help us understand that we're kids, but we're also grown-ups. We're young men. We're, we, we can be distracted. We can, we can have other pursuits, but we still need to be in a constant state of learning and developing and growing in the gospel. And in these three degrees, John divides human life. In John Calvin's um, commentary on the verse, he says, he indeed begins with the old and says that the gospel is suitable to them because they are learned from it to know Christ. This is the character of the old, but they become especially unteachable because they measure wisdom by the number of years. John is saying that as children under teachers or instructors in the faith, his readers have come to know God as the Father. And after referring again to the fathers, he concludes by addressing the young man as those in whom the word of God lives. They were strong as the children of faith, 
But John reminds them that their strength ultimately depends on one fact alone, the word of God abiding in them. So that's, that's the process in our hearts. But then we're shown in these results of this direction, the direction of the gospel, how we navigate the world. And that's verses 15 through 17. And he goes into, don't love the world. This is all connected. Everything he's speaking about, about walking in the light, is he's helping us find freedom. (laughs) To live a life that's completely free and set free. To love God. To love others. To not use this life to get ourselves ahead. And the whole point of this is what we tend to do is we tend to look at the world as a prospect for our identity. Notice here that he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is he saying? We go outside and, I hate that tree. I hate that mountain. Long's Peak, ugh, I hate you. I can't, or, or I, he's not saying that you hate the earth. Or you hate the beauty of the earth. Actually, the scriptures say just the opposite. God's creation is a part of, all of creation is worshiping him. We join in with creation, right? So he's not saying hate the world. We can enjoy these things, but the word here for world is is the Greek word cosmos, which literally means an orderly arrangement. It, It speaks of a decoration used to adorn something. Because that's exactly how we look at the world. We look at the world, we tend to look at the world as the prospect of accessorizing our life. We look to the world to adorn us, to define us, to decorate us, ultimately to form our identity. That's how we tend to look at the world. We tend to look at relationships to find our identity. We all want to be loved, right? So we feel good when someone loves us. We all want to be successful. So we look at getting an education or getting a good job and making something of ourselves. And John is not saying hate that. (laughs) He's saying don't let that become your life. Let Jesus become your life. And that's the secret of life. See, I love for my wife to love me. But my life has to be Jesus. And until my life is Jesus, I, it's, it's a, an off-kilter relationship because I'm wanting from her what I can only get from God. The job that God's given you might love your job. Not everyone does, but maybe you're one that you've, you've got the greatest job and you love it. And that's awesome. That's a blessing of God. And he's saying, don't not love your job. Love your job, but don't let that become your identity. Because everything in this world is going to be passing away. He's helping us live a life of freedom and a life of strength. That even if the world fell apart on us sooner than later, we're still in the same place. We're still built upon a rock. See, the problem, John states, is that everything in this world is passing away. Therefore, he explains the futility of building your identity on the things of the world. And he wants us, again, this is about direction, right? So we look at life. We look at opportunities. We look at relationships through the lens of the gospel of, I love my home. I love 
where I live. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my job. I love all these things, and they're all from God, but they're not my life. My identity is not in these things. My identity is in Christ. And that is the key. That is how to walk in the light. Then, and we can't truly love until our identity is in Christ because we're always going to be looking at others, at people that are, we, we need to maybe get something from them to help us with our identity because we have a, uh, you know, we're insecure or whatever and we're not truly loving people like that. The way to truly love people is to find your identity in Christ and that's exactly what the gospel allows us to, to do. You can love your job, you can love your house, you can love your life. You appreciate them and enjoy them, but they're not your life. They're not your identity. As a matter of fact, we can't fully enjoy life, the things we have, nor truly love people until we find our identity in Christ. Why? Because we need, we need them. We need these things to be happy. And when the gospel brings you to a place where you don't need someone or need things to make you happy, that's freedom. That's liberty. There are psychological and emotional strings attached to the things that we depend upon for our identity, and the gospel brings us into an incredible life of strength and power and freedom. In learning the gospel, it makes us love the gospel. In loving the gospel, we will love nothing else. And that's what John is saying. This world will not have a hold on us because we no longer look to it for our identity. The gospel helps us live in the real world because we are living for the eternal kingdom and things that are eternal. Everything we see is going to pass away. And God is using this life to prepare us for heaven. And then he talks about everything in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. You can basically bring, break down all of our sin into those three categories. And this, by the way, is the original temptation. If you remember in Genesis 3, 5, the serpent tempted Eve and it says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree, it was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and aid, and she also gave some to her husband, to, gave it to, to Adam. The original sin is all wrapped up in these things, and it speaks about things we need to have to feel happy. And it speaks about the pride of life, of, of feeling like you're on top of the world, like you're better than others in order to find your identity in these things, okay? You know, we saw, um, I just saw clips of Whitney Houston's funeral yesterday and it was really touching I don't know if you saw it but it was at her old church in New Jersey and he was on you know they, the whole funeral was a broadcast and they were sharing Jesus and singing and there was a, a choir and she grew up in that church and it was an amazing funeral and I don't I don't know her but she died a very tragic death you know the end of her life was very tragic and her last tour she was out and um, 
she went back on tour and she just didn't have the stuff like she used to and she got horrible reviews and it just threw her into this depression and she, for all intents and purposes, um, committed suicide, you know, even though she didn't put a gun to her head. She, she was messed up because our identity was wrapped up in these things. See, going to church, she grew up in a church, but she, you know, the poor, what I'm saying is it's not enough to grow up in the church. We need to know the gospel because the gospel is the answer. We need to know the direction that the gospel provides so we can process the challenges of life. Do we know the gospel? John is saying, you can. I don't know if she knew the gospel or not. I don't know. But John is saying that you can know. You can know the gospel today, right now. And you can know that you know because you love other people. And you can almost look at it as saying, where am I at? <laughs> where am I at with the gospel? And how we love other people. Direction. <laughs> Walking in the light. Learning to live life. Look at life. Process life. Look at ourselves through the lens of the good news. That God loves us. He gave everything for us just to have us. And that, that can be your reality. And I'm so grateful that we have that good news to share. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel, for the good news. That it is not, God, it's not um, about our efforts. It's not about our works. But deep down in all of us, Lord, we want, we, we're crying to be pleasing to you and to live lives that glorify you we just may not realize it and so God we look to you as the the artist as as the one who will take our lives our lives that have been marred and make something beautiful out of them bringing beauty out of the ashes Lord we pray that you would bring each of us individually into a deeper sense of the gospel and that we just continue to grow in that as people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.